drawing closer to the Stanley Cup final. The offseason is going to get moving in a hurry uh, very soon here. And we thought, what better way to prepare than to get a handle on the Leafs system as it stands? Uh, it's hard to, hard to fit in much prospect talk down the stretch and into the playoffs. So in order to, to find out how the pipeline has been faring, we wanted to bring back Kyle Cushman from the Leafs Nation. Kyle, thanks for uh, joining us again. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, no Keith uh, this week. Uh, he is trying to visit uh, all 30 MLB ballparks <laughs> in 30 days, I believe, is, is what he's doing right now. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, Kyle, we, we had you on back in December. Um, got some great feedback on that episode. People love the prospects. So, so thanks for doing this again. Uh, before we get into some of the prospect talk, um, Wanted to talk about a few of the other things going on with the Leafs. Obviously, Jason Spezza has retired since we last recorded. Uh, Kyle, we want to talk about some of the stuff you've written for the Leafs Nation recently. But first, I got to ask, it's been nearly a month. Uh, The Lightning are six wins from their third straight Stanley Cup. How are you feeling? How's everything sitting with you after another first round out? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Well, (laughs) at least this one like wasn't as brutal as like the the last two just because the Tampa Bay Lightning are like on the verge of being a modern dynasty like this is a team that's won back-to-back cups the Leafs took them to seven games they outscored them over the whole series so as disappointing as it was to lose in the first round again it's not like blowing the opportunity against Montreal or blowing the opportunity against Columbus because in those series you felt like the Leafs were clearly the better team and they blew it. And in this series, you could argue the Leafs were the better team. I think I probably would over the course of the seven games. Um, But we're talking about a team that is completely playoff tested and winning back-to-back cups. And they're on their way to potentially going to a third straight final. So um, as tough as it was to lose another first round series in a row, um, feeling better about the Leafs overall right now versus the same time last year. Um, And overall, looking at what the Lightning have done, obviously the third round being iffy right now, but looking at what they did against Florida and everything like that, it's hard not to feel pretty good about the Leafs still, even with them losing in the first round again. Yeah, I think you pretty much echoed the sentiment that the three of us had in our, uh, I guess, post-mortem podcast, for lack of a better term. It just felt different this year, right? Like they, they, There wasn't that collapse. They, they took the back-to-back champs right down to the wire and ultimately you know, lost by a goal, even though they outscored the Lightning by a goal in the series as a whole. So it, as disappointing as it was, I think there was a lot of encouraging signs and it was, it was just really hard to fault anyone in particular or anyone glaring issue it was just two great teams going down to the wire and it didn't go the leaf sweat but you have found your mind drifting back when you're you know setting out for to to you know draw the traps for the day nick <laughs> 5 30 in the morning and the sun's rising and you're you know just making your way out into the uh, into the waves and that that's where your mind goes still yeah well I'll, I'll say this it was a lot easier getting up in the morning after those you know first couple playoff wins and the, the vibes are great heading out in the morning and uh yes yeah, it, it was a little disappointing to not have that anymore it was uh kind of helping power me through the first couple weeks of fishing season there but you know it is what it is old hat now that's yeah it's uh you're well adjusted for sure <laughs> um so so last week jay Jason Spezza announced his retirement after 19 seasons, uh, last three with the Leafs. 
He joins the front office now as a special assistant to Kyle Dubas. And I mean, it sucks. You know, it's it's another beloved veteran who won't get to do the thing in Toronto. Right. But kind of feels like almost the best thing for both sides. Like, obviously, the production slipped a little this past season. I don't think you can comfortably enter the season with him anchoring your fourth line the way that you you could justifiably do so last year. Right. And, you know, he's been open about not wanting to play anywhere else. But, like, I don't think that he wants to not play here, right? So this is kind of how you arrive at that decision. So I'm kind of bummed because, you know, it was obviously a, a really fun run with him, uh, kind of finding his game again in the twilight of his career with his hometown team. Obviously, a lot of, you know, good narrative action going on there. And obviously, the most successful of, you know, the the, the KG vets who have come in to, to kind of cup hunt in the last few years. Uh, hopefully, that title will seamlessly transfer to Mark Giordano. Uh, but but how did you guys feel about uh, about the news that Jason Spezza is hanging up the skates? Yeah, I, I, I think you kind of nailed it, Cam. It, as It's a bittersweet thing. Uh, I think we all in, really enjoyed you know seeing Spezza finish out his illustrious career with his hometown team. Um, I said on Twitter a couple of times, I was really glad that it wasn't just kind of a one and done thing. The fact that he kind of really integrated himself as a leaf and had himself some big moments. I'm sure we could all list a few just off the top of our head from his three seasons in the blue and white. Uh, it was just, it was really enjoyable to watch him play and bring that passion to his hometown team. Uh, it, it's disappointing that they weren't able to, get over the hump and win him the, that big game and give him a real shot at a, a cup run. Uh, the other thing is he's like five points away from a thousand, I believe. Oh, I, man, I, I thought know. that there might've been a chance just based on the, that, that he might, you know, at least come give it a crack for the first couple months of the season. And if it didn't work out, maybe end up on waivers and, and call it a day. But I, I think He's also a guy that has some pride and, you know, he's going out as a player who can still contribute at least in a depth role. So I, I think there's something to be said for being able to remember him that way rather than the way that maybe we're remembering Joe Thornton's tenure or, or, or something like that. So it's bittersweet, but yeah, I think for all involved is probably the best move. It's time to get some young blood on that fourth line, I think. Uh, just a, a little more juice in the legs and, and some energy down there. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I was surprised uh, a bit to see that he retired just given how close he was to a 1,000 points. But um, that being said, I think it's the right decision for all parties involved at this point because Spezza gets to go out still being an NHL contributor, still getting to be uh, a solid fourth line option, but he lost a step uh, a fair bit, especially as the season went along. By the end of the year, he wasn't a regular in the top 12. He didn't start in the lineup in the playoffs even. He got back in and had some moments, but I think overall at this point, he would have been out of the lineup even more next year maybe not even in the playoff lineup if we're looking again another year and losing another step. So he gets to leave uh, the NHL as a player, uh, still being a, a serviceable guy, and goes right into the Leafs front office, which I think everyone expected to happen as soon as he retired. Um, but for Spezza here and his fit on the Leafs team, it also opens up the Leafs to do a bit of different things with the bottom of their lineup in the fourth line, just because when you have Spezza in the lineup, he's a very specific kind of player at this point of his career, and you kind of have to work around that to have an effective line with him. But now, without him there, depending on what they do in the offseason, whether they bring in another forward that's similar mold to that or not, but you can 
can go to more of the Colin Blackwell types or young guys with speed that can give you energy at the bottom of the lineup and give you a bit of a different look than what you've had the last couple of years with Joe Thornton mixing in there, with with Jason Spezza mixing in there. Still have to see what happens with Wayne Simmons in the fourth line mix and things like that. But I think it was just the right time for Jason Spezza to retire. Um, and I'm glad to see that he didn't try to stretch it out too long. And I'm glad to see him make the adjustment into the Leafs front office because I think he's going to make a great management, coach, development staff, whatever path he decides to go down. He's going to be great in that role. Yeah, he's a hockey lifer. I mean, he, he's just it, it, this was always the path, right? He, he's just he's such a, a student of the game. And and yeah, I mean, I think that one of the slight hang ups, obviously, we, we all love the, the Mark Giordano contract, but, you know, he's another guy who's lost a step. He's a veteran. And like I, I had a little bit of concern, like, are we going back down this path? Like, you know, the North Division year where you had Thornton and obviously Simmons is still here. Clifford's got a contract extension. Like, is the team speed going to be just a, you know, a little too slow if Spezza comes back? So, yeah, I think that that's that's the move to try to get a little bit more speed down there on the fourth line and um, and try to keep that up. Um, so, yeah, he, he joins the front office now and arguably the most kind of looming thing for Dubas and Spezza and the rest of the front office heading into the offseason is what to do about the goaltending. And Kyle, you wrote about Jack Campbell recently and, you know, what he might cost to retain. You had some some comparable contracts from recent years and, and some projections on what the deal could look like. And, um, you know, let's just kind of round it off because you had a couple of numbers in there. One of them was, I think, three times 4.9 million. So let's let's just call it 3 times 5. Is that a contract you would give Jack Campbell? Would you look to move on if if kind of that's the the commitment you have to make as far as the cap hit or or how would you approach um this this position of need heading into the offseason? Well, that's a big question, right? I, I think a lot of people saw that Campbell's camp was asking for something in the 5 million range and were very surprised by it. But Evolving Wilds projections have him right in that $5 million range. Looking at past comparables, somebody like Linus Allmark got in the 5 million range. Chris Drieger, who had even less sample as a backup as well, uh, got $3.5 million from Seattle. So he's going to get in that range uh, in terms of salary. It's whether the Leafs think that he's the guy and want to commit that much for him. And for myself, I, I I certainly wouldn't do it at this point. I would at least look for other options, either via trade or free agency and see kind of what your options are, just because especially as the year went on, we saw Jack Campbell kind of have some injury issues again, had some troubles, of course, at the middle part and down the stretch of (laughs) struggling with consistency and things like that. So if you get the first couple months of the season, Jack Campbell, then yeah, sign him up to three years, five million and call it a day. But over the course of the season, we saw enough inconsistency. We saw enough injury troubles and things like that to where I wouldn't feel comfortable having him be the guy for five million. Um, and, And so I would be looking to spread that money elsewhere, maybe get a couple of different goalies in the three-ish million range rather than having that one guy of Jack Campbell at five million or thereabouts. But the the tough part is what you kind of see on the goaltending market. There isn't a ton of great options out there and those options are probably going to get something either close to Campbell or a little bit less. So um, it's going to be a tough situation because goaltending is the most important position and yet it's the most inconsistent and hardest to project. So for the Leafs, um, it's going to be really tough decision between 
going with a guy you know who has some warts and has some faults um, or seeing what you kind of can get on the open market. Because we saw it last year where they brought in Peter Morazic to kind of be the secondary option if Campbell does falter. And people at the time thought it was a great pickup, maybe on the expensive side, but he's been a career split starter, things like that. And it went about as bad as it could possibly get this year for Peter Morazic. So um, it's going to be tough. But at this point, um, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving Jack Campbell something in the five million range. I think you really hit on something at the end there, Kyle, and and that's kind of how I was going to follow up with with what you were saying was, I think it's going to come down to a bit of the the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Um, Yeah. And especially with the Mrazic thing and how that played out for them last season and how the Mrazic thing plays out for them this offseason is also going to be a factor in what they're able to do in net. Um, it, it, maybe paying Jack Campbell $5 million a year on the cap is a lot more palatable if you're able to shed the entirety of Mrazic's $3.8 million. Um, the reality of the situation is Jack Campbell's not taking any less than what Peter Mrazic is making, regardless of whether it's Toronto paying him or another team. Um, it, it, it really is a difficult situation. Uh, as you said, goaltending is so volatile and unpredictable from year to year. I, I think a lot of it's just going to come down with the level of comfort they have with Jack personally, as well as, as on the ice. Because I, I think when you have familiarity with a player, especially in the goaltending position uh, and with the limited market that it looks like it's going to be this offseason. I think that's going to go a long way, but it's it's not going to be an easy decision or an easy position to fill if they decide to look elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, goaltending for me is always kind of a boomer bust thing, right? Like, I, I'd pay out the eye for a, a guy that I know is going to do the job, a Shesterkin or a Vasilevsky or whatever, right? There's but like five of those guys, uh, maybe. <laughs> the middle that, and the middle ground is just it's a roll of the dice. So, you know, like obviously you look at Mrazic and how things went on that front and that's kind of the you know the prime example of why not to give money in term to a guy when they're just kind of a guy when they're just you know could be maybe a hair above average but could be a lot worse than that right so like i think that i i would want to roll the dice on you know certainly someone who's maybe coming off of a poor season because those guys like you know if they if they have a, at least a uh history of of you know performing well they'll they'll bounce back and maybe Mrazic will bounce back but i don't know if um if that's going to be like that's a hell of a gamble like if you if you were going to say we can't pay Campbell this let's roll the dice that Mrazic has a bounce back year because you know he's had a history of being a solid goaltender and let's roll the dice on a guy who had a bad year and you know is another guy who could bounce back but then if they're both shit again you're absolutely up, up the creek without a paddle. So, like, how could you do that as a general manager and and, and sleep at night? I, I don't know. Yeah, and as much as I don't think that Kyle Dubas is the type to, like, cave to public perception or anything like that, there's just no way that he can really go into the season and, and feel comfortable and be able to shut out all the doubts and noise uh, surrounding it if, if that's indeed what he decides to do. And I don't hate the idea of bringing back Mrazic. It's just the Leafs can't do it given their cap situation. You can't have a $3.8 million question mark as a maybe goaltender, especially as the number one option going into next year. It would have been great if Mrazic had a good year and you feel good about that option going into next year. That's just not the situation. It would situation. also give you leverage with Campbell, right? Exactly. And so it's 
such a tough spot because it's such an important position. You have to shed one goaltender that you have under contract and the other guy who's a UFA, you don't know if you want to bring back for the amount that he's looking for. All aboard the Hellebuck train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, a couple more pieces that you've written recently, Kyle, that I, I kind of wanted to chat a little bit about. Um, one of them, just kind of briefly, we can touch on. Um, you wrote about using stats to to try to find the next Michael Bunting, and you looked at you know a few guys uh, who kind of fit the profile as far as their AHL performance and and what you know Bunting was kind of doing before he broke out with with Arizona, and then obviously his huge season with the Leafs. Um, and, and you know this is obviously a a fruitless task, right? Like you're yes. not going to find yeah. the next Michael Bunting, at least to the degree that, you know, the Leafs found him this year. But um, one name that stood out right off the top was Alex Barre Boulay. And I, I don't know if he can be that guy, but I, I certainly remember like having followed the, the Quebec league and having, you know, paid attention when Tampa signed him, it was like, ah, fuck these guys again. They got him. He's probably going to be good. That's probably a pretty decent undrafted, you know, UFA signing. And, and I don't know what, you know, the chances are that he's still going to find that, but uh, he he certainly had some impressive numbers. Yeah. So in terms of quote unquote, trying to find the next Michael Bunting, it's just not something that's realistically going to happen in the perfect storm that happened for Bunting last year, where he was a guy who had multiple years of good success at the AHL level. He got a chance in the NHL late in a year and produced in those minutes. And then, oh yeah, at the end of it, just happened to be a group six UFA. So he's a young UFA as well. And so that perfect storm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So that perfect storm is just never really going to happen to the same degree. But somebody like Alex Bray-Belay, He's still got two years under contract with Tampa Bay, um, but they put him on waivers this year. He got claimed by Seattle for two games, and then they put him back on waivers for some reason. Nobody else claimed him, and he went back down to the AHL and dominated again this year to an even greater degree than he has in in his previous career. So Beret Belay is absolutely somebody I'm looking at as potentially being a, a breakout guy eventually at the NHL level. And even in 14 games this year, he still chipped in five points for Tampa Bay. So he had 63 points in 58 games this year with Syracuse. He's been a point-per-game player thereabouts every year of his AHL career. And he did all of that this year as well with having a pretty low shooting percentage as well. So um, he's somebody that I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at this in a few months' time and he's on Tampa's bottom six and he's putting up some points and having some solid results and people are going, wow, how did Tampa (laughs) find another one of these guys? And he was available for free um, over the course of this year. But yeah, he's somebody that... uh, when looking through some of the AHL results and stuff from pick224.com, which is such a great resource to kind of go through and try to find some of these outlier guys. Um, He was the one that had the most interesting uh, statistical profile in terms of matching up with kind of what Bunting did, having a few years of AHL success, uh, success, having a couple of good stints in the NHL as well. So Brabelay is definitely a guy I've gotten my eye on if he's on waivers again to start next year or if he does break camp with the Lightning. I'm just going to jump in and correct myself right quick on bunting before i have uh, the fine people of scarborough after me michael bunting <laughs> there is, is yeah. a scarborough native uh, not uh, not a toronto <laughs> boy but uh, close enough yeah that was that was pretty well established this year i suppose so i probably should have <laughs> got that too but i didn't um 
uh, yeah, I mean that Tampa system, like that—that's the goal, obviously. And and I I do feel good about that. We're going to get into some system talk here in a minute with the Leafs because obviously the Leafs have done, a, I think, a great job of drafting these last few years. But that's it with Tampa. Is it's like, you know, the, these guys kind of spill over, and there's just no room for them. And and that's kind of where you hope to get to with the Leafs. Is like e- even looking at like another guy who I kind of expected to break out a little bit this season with Tampa Bay with you know some departures and and a little bit more opportunity there was Matthew Joseph and you know it didn't quite happen for him and then he goes to Ottawa and tears it up right so exactly uh, like that, that that's ultimately the fate for these great organizations is you know these very quality players that they, they just ultimately kind of can't find room for and that's kind of where we hope uh, it gets with the Leafs in a in a hurry here right so yeah and that Matthew Joseph guy got them somebody by the name of Nick Paul <laughs> I, I don't think he's done anything in the playoffs but don't know who that Draw is, a blank. Uh, Kyle. No. Sorry, doesn't ring a bell. Doesn't um, ring a bell. Permanently deleted from the memory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, before we get into the the system chat, Kyle, one other kind of piece that you wrote about, and kind of on this uh, topic of you know trying to find hidden gems, um, you wrote about some players whose uh, rights are expiring. Um, is is the deadline passed now? Uh, yeah, it was June first. So all these guys are re-entry or free agents. Okay. Okay. So, so um, I, I was looking at some of these these um, guys who are now available, guys who um, you know the the teams decided to, to pass on after drafting them, allowed the, the rights to expire. And uh, Nick, as we've established, you you've spent most of your time over the last month plus on a boat, so maybe you didn't get to read this piece <laughs> from Kyle, but you you'd be happy to know that the very first name mentioned here is your guy and mine, Ryan Francis. Oh, don't worry, I took note of that. I, I was actually. A- <laughs> caught a little bit off guard by that. I, I thought that uh, the Flames were going to hold his rights for another season. I, I was, uh, pardon the pun, but missed the boat on that one a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ryan Francis is a guy I was a huge fan of uh, when he was playing in Cape Breton here. He, he was probably my my favorite eagle to watch for a couple of seasons. And, and a guy that kind of had a bit of a slow start to his QMJHL career, but a, a guy that I, I liked from the first time I saw him. So it was, it was just one of those guys that's kind of rewarding to watch him find that success over time as he progresses through that level um i was also a bit surprised that the flames opted not to sign him but you know they're an organization that already has some players in that mold kind of like smaller skilled forwards who are who are finding success in the ahl and you know with the 50 contract limit some of these guys just kind of fall to the wayside but he's definitely a player that i think sort of fits the mold of the type of prospect that Kyle Dubas and his staff really value. Um, someone who might be a bit of a market inefficiency due to his lack of size and, you know, maybe not the most outstanding skater for a guy his size either, but the offensive vision is there, the hands and just the ability to kind of make plays in the offensive zone and drive play that way. Uh, he's a he's a really enticing young player and I, I'll, I'll be shocked if someone doesn't give him a shot, at least on an AHL deal heading into next season because, you know, you look at his numbers and his production and, and just overall level of play – in the queue, he's a guy who who looks like he has some definite pro potential. Yeah, he'll go back in the draft this year, um, as will a couple of the other CHL guys. And just being on the older side, I'd be a little surprised if somebody uh, drafted any of the guys re-entering the draft, just because you can get them on AHL deals or sign them as free agents right after the draft. And Francis is absolutely a guy uh, that I have my eye on as being a target for the Marlies or for the Leafs uh, after uh, the draft. If he does go 
undrafted again. So um, he's also somebody that has played for St. John this year. So he's been a teammate with William Villeneuve, who's a Leafs prospect. So I'm sure the Leafs have got plenty of scouts that have seen Francis just by way of watching Villeneuve as well. So he's definitely somebody that I think we could see um, in the Leaf system at some point, potentially over the the summer and into next year. Yeah, that's a good point as well about uh, Villeneuve. Um, 65 points in... Uh, 54 games for Francis this year, which, you know, certainly aren't eye-popping numbers for an overager, but um, again, just a, a really solid offensive player. Beaver Bank stand up. <laughs> uh, it's it's always uh, worth noting, I think, too, with, with some of these East Coast guys, right? Like, um, th- this could be an option for the Growlers and, and they kind of get to yep. stay close to home and, and, you know, we've seen that with Jeremy McKenna and some other guys, so... Um, that's something worth considering too. So, um, be interested to see, you know, who kind of, uh, uh, ends up moving around in terms of some of those, um, maybe less heralded guys, but guys who could still possibly contribute up and down the system. Um, so, so let's talk about some Leafs guys because we, we had you on to, to chat about, um, you know, your, your ranking of, of the Leaf system uh, back in December, Kyle, and um, you, you haven't uh, updated that ranking as of yet, but, you know, obviously um, there would be some, some clear changes at the top, uh, the most notable of which, you know, sadly being, you know, the news about Rodi and Amirov, of course, since, since we uh, had you on last time uh, and, you know, the, the battle that he's going through with cancer. And obviously, it's uh, been all kind of encouraging news uh, on that front so far. So obviously, we, we continue to wish him well, but we'll we'll um, kind of exclude him from our chat just because, you know, we, we just want to see him get better. And, and um, you know, we'll kind of focus on, on some of the other top guys off of the top here. And as I recall, Kyle, when, when we talked to you um, back in December, you know, you kind of had that, that group of three that included Mirov at the time, um, but alongside uh, Nick. Robertson and Topi Niemela kind of at the top of, of the, the prospect system. Um, and you kind of had Matthew Nyes just, just kind of knocking on the outside there. Um, obviously, his trajectory continued to be quite impressive throughout the NCAA season. Uh, so where do you kind of stand in terms of uh, Nyes and, and his ranking uh, against the other guys at the top of the, the system for the Leafs? Yeah, Nyes has just continued to, to kind of steamroll his way to the top. And um, no pun intended, just given the way he plays hockey. Yeah, like but, very literally um, has steamrolled. His way. Yeah, exactly. Right. So but no, coming into this year, he was a he was a player that I, I don't think a lot of people had a great read on just from his draft year in the USHL being such a tale of two seasons and coming into this year, having a great start to the NCAA year. And I was like, okay, he's got 15 to 20 games of NCAA under his belt. He's been a great player for that stretch. If he can continue to do that over the course of the full season, I think that's when he gets into that next conversation. And he, and he did that and more. Uh, down the stretch. He got better and better as the season went along. He was one of the best players in the entire NCAA. Um, and he was fantastic in clutch moments for Minnesota down the stretch as well in big moments um, as they went deep in the uh, NCAA tournament as well. So Nyes is definitely in that top three conversation now. Um, I think a lot of people have him as the organizational number one just given the projectability and the way he plays and his size and everything to the NHL game. I still think somebody like a Nick Roberts and just given his shot, maybe has slightly higher upside. But in terms of projectability and impact that they can make at the NHL level, I think there's a great case for Nice to be the organizational number one prospect. Well, the great thing I think about this conversation is now there's a bit of 
diversity in the types of players that we, we have yeah. at the top of the system, right? Uh, and yeah, Matthew Nye's just, you know, Cam said he was kind of knocking on that door of the top three. He pretty much blew that down in the second half of the <laughs> yeah. season. Uh, for me, uh, he is at the top of the, the Leafs prospect pool right now because of those things you mentioned, Kyle. Just the, the pro projectability. Um, I, I think w- when you're comparing him to a guy like Nick Robertson, Robertson's a player who you're going to get the most out of him if he's able to grow into a top six scorer. And there might not be a lot more utility in his game beyond that, you know, as much as he is an energetic player who can kind of set guys up and he forechecks hard. And I think he's diligent defensively for the most part. There's just a bit more of a safer floor with a guy like Nyes. Um He's able to contribute in a lot more different ways and if it turns out that his offense doesn't you know completely translate to the nhl level he's still going to find a role as a really effective third or fourth line player who does all those things that provide energy for his team while still being able to chip in with some secondary offense when you combine that with the fact that his ceiling is arguably just as high as nick robertson's or pretty darn close in terms of you know overall offensive ability and output and things like that i just think that it's hard to ignore those two things together when you when you look at the upside and the floor together i just think he has the best combination of those two things in the entire leaf system exactly it's the it's the likelihood that i think puts nice over the top of robertson right now just because like you mentioned that the floor is higher the the ceiling is arguably as close and, and when you look at the likelihood of somebody like nice and the way he plays and the size and skating and everything of reaching that top end potential is more likely than somebody like Robertson who uh, I haven't loved the way that the Leafs have used him in going up and down between the NHL and AHL and things like that but at the same time hasn't been fantastic when he has gotten those NHL chances yet and so um, for myself I think I would tend to agree that Nyes just barely gets over the top for number one for me right now as well Um, and it's because of those things like the the higher floor um, and arguably similar ceiling as well. And, and as much as Robertson may not have taken advantage of those opportunities and he was a bit up and down again this season, he closed out the American League campaign on oh, an yeah, insanely strong note. Um, he, he really kind of locked in and, and tore things up down the stretch for the Marlies, did pretty much everything he could to kind of try and power them to a playoff spot. Uh, wasn't able to, to ultimately get them that far, but I, I think, what did he finish, Kyle? You'd probably be more on this than I am, but I think he was top five in terms of, of points per game among U21 AHL players. Um, so, like, any time that you see, and it was a limited sample size because of the time missed due to injury and stuff, but w- whenever you see a 20-year-old player, you know, putting up a point per game in the AHL, and the goal scoring numbers in particular that he had down the stretch. There's a lot to feel good about still with Nick Robertson. I think there's been a bit of, um, I don't know. He, it feels like he's been around a bit longer than, you know, your typical 20 year old prospect just because of the way things went with the pandemic and him kind of being forced out of the OHL a little bit early and, you know, having to start his pro career ahead of time. I, I think that, there's a, an element of him maybe growing stale a bit among the fan base, but when you look at the fact that he's still only going to be turning 21 years old in September and the numbers that he put up this year in the AHL, there's still a lot to be really excited about with Nick Robertson. 
Yeah, and on Robertson, well, in the 28 games he played over the full season, he would have been on a 40-goal pace. And the way that he played late in the year as well, if you kind of take that timeline and say that he's healthy all year, which is a big if and, of course, didn't happen. But if he doesn't get hurt in the second game of the season, you have that timeline moved up and he's playing the way he did at the end of the year in, say, December, January. You can look at the numbers he had and probably project them to be higher. You can look at them and project them to maybe be playing on the Leafs in the playoffs. And so for Nick Robertson, yeah, he was fantastic down the stretch for the Marlies. Um, Really found that second gear that we hadn't quite seen at the AHL level yet. Um, And you mentioned him ranking top five in U21 AHL scoring. He ranked tied for third with Peyton Krebs among U21 guys who played over 15 games. The only guys ahead of him were Lucas Reichel and Jack Quinn. And those are guys who were taken in the top 20 and in Jack Quinn's uh, case, top 10. So um, for Robertson, uh, yeah, I, I think people are maybe a little too high on Matt Nyes or the expectations are too highs and on the flip side people have maybe gotten a little too low on Nick Robertson as well because it's easy to forget that in normal circumstances no COVID no weird playoffs no nothing this would have been the first year that Nick Robertson played professional games in a normal cycle a normal development schedule he would have been back in the OHL had things been normal last year so to have the point per game season he did granted in 28 games to have 16 goals in that time being a 40-goal pace at the AHL level, there's still a lot to really like about Nick Robertson. There have been a number of prospects who the Leafs have signed since we had you on last in December, Kyle. Um, Topi Niemela, Roni Hervinen. Obviously, we got to see a little bit of uh, Nick Abrazizi towards the end of the season. Uh, one guy that I wanted to ask you about who we didn't get to talk about last time you were on, uh, Ty Voigt, who Ooh. ended up having a fantastic <laughs> season in the OHL. And, you know, this was a guy who obviously didn't get to play last year. Um, you know, when he was he was drafted and had pretty solid production as a 16 year old. But there's a lot of projection going on there, especially, you know, when you don't get a 17 year old season. So to, to see him put up 80 points in 67 games with Sarnia and just some dazzling highlights, it seemed every time that he popped into my Twitter feed. Um, how do you kind of uh, rate him and, and how did he kind of climb your board as the uh, as the season wore on? Yeah, Ty Void is exactly what you want from a mid-round pick for the Leafs at this point where, yes, he's undersized. Yes, he's small. All these things. Yes, there's some concerns about the projectability to the pro game. But when you're talking about mid-round picks and the Leafs drafted him in the fifth round, what do you want? You want upside guys who maybe have a lower likelihood of being an impact player at the NHL level, but if they do, you're laughing all the way to the bank. And that's exactly what Ty Voigt projects as. He had a fantastic year this year in the OHL, was one of the top playmakers, especially at even strength, was one of the most uh, leaned upon forwards in the entire league, just given Sarnia having a younger roster and things like that. He was really leaned on to be a leader on that team, moved to centers, a position that he hadn't played in his entire hockey career. He'd been a winger all the way, played center, um, moved there seamlessly. And so Ty Voigt had exactly the kind of season that you were hoping for looking at his um, draft year minus one season because of course he was playing in the OHL didn't have a draft year campaign um, and had a really really great year had some great moments in the playoffs as well with a big goal to push Sarnia to six games in in their series um, in the first round Um, but yeah Ty Voigt had a special special season there um, especially playmaking wise in the OHL and slowly climbing up the boards for myself he's knocking on the door of the top 10 for myself just given undersized and things like that 
I got to really wait until he does something at the professional level to really start getting on the bandwagon and and pumping his tires. But for Ty Voigt, he's an awesome, awesome playmaker um, and had exactly the kind of season this year that you're really hoping to see from him when you were making that pick and hoping that he could become this kind of player at the OHL level. Yeah, with all those caveats that you included there, he had pretty much the the best season that the Leafs could have been hoping for from their fifth round pick. Right? Exactly. So he did just about everything that he could have done in his draft plus one season to make that investment look good on the Leafs end. And so I, I think, you know, it, it's still a long road. He's a player that you're not going to be seeing competing for NHL minutes in the next season or two by any means. But with the overall skill level and just like that offensive vision is not something that can really be taught or not something that you see really take huge strides in terms of development from a player once they're, they've reached this point in their career, right? So that's something that he already has. That is something that you can pretty safely project to the pro level. It's just a matter of the rest of his game catching up, you know, maybe adding a little bit more pace. The As you said, Kyle, the size and strength thing is, is going to be something he's going to have to deal with probably for the entirety of his career. But just getting a little bit more physically strong. And he's he's one of those guys who it's going to take a little bit of time for him to mature physically, you know, yeah. reach that, that ultimate ceiling in terms of his physical development. Uh, but he, he's also a guy who's had to withstand being a smaller player at almost every level that he's competed at throughout his life. So that's not something that's entirely new for him either. Um, again, I think you nailed it, Kyle, with just what you're looking for at that point in the draft. It's really easy to find those pluggers or those grinders or third pair defensemen or whatever in free agency on the cheap or you know even on waivers throughout the course of a season so that's not really what you should be hoping your team is shooting for in the late rounds I think maybe there's an argument to be made for the the floor kind of separating some guys from others at the top of the draft but when you get to the fifth or even the fourth fifth and sixth round in the draft you should be swinging on upside and that's what the Leafs did with Ty Voigt and uh, to this point they've been rewarded for it yeah and I think my favorite stat with Voigt just kind of to show how much of a playmaker he was for Sarnia this year. Um, the 37 even strength assists that he had this year, 31 of those were primary. <laughs> he only silly. had six. It, it's silly. He had six secondary assists at even strength of the 37 uh, assists he had um, at five on five this year for Sarnia, which is just silly. You would have, like, with, with the amount of assists he had this year and things like that, you would have assumed that just a few of those would have been secondary. But no, it, just six of them, which uh, just goes to show for starters how important he was to Sarnia in terms of generating offense for them. He led them in scoring by 21 points um, and just being that involved offensively, not even as the primary goal scorer, but as a playmaker as well. Yeah, I'm very excited for him. That that primary assist stat is is mind-boggling. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to uh, to see what he can do for sure. Uh, any other guys who kind of, um, you know, really rose in your view in terms of kind of their, their status as a prospect, Kyle? I know that we spent some time on, on Ryan Torberg on the, on the last episode, but uh, last time we had you on. But, um, yeah, is, are there any other guys that you, you have an eye on after their performance this season? Yeah, Ryan Torberg is the one that, over the course of the full season, uh, definitely rose the most, um, just from being being a guy who had played like 15 games at the NCAA level was a seventh round pick out of the OJHL and this year puts up a near point per game season with Connecticut and the NCAA. He rose definitely the most over the full season Um, but somebody that wasn't actually even on the, the prospect rankings at all back in December I think 
my opinion of them rose the most um, and that's because the Leafs didn't even have him signed to an NHL contract and for me that's Curtis Douglas um, he came into the season as kind of the new big project guy they had J- uh, Justin Brazo previously that didn't ro- work out he actually had a pretty solid year with Providence in the AHL um, previous to that they had guys like Hudson Elinuk who was like 6'5 and things like that they hadn't really found their big guy project that had really kind of worked yet and Curtis Douglas came in he was a Dallas draft pick six foot nine 200 whatever pounds just an absolute behemoth of a forward um and he played a few games for Belleville last year at the AHL level was fine was whatever um and this year when the Marley signed him it was like okay he's here's the next project here's the next guy they send to whatever skating coach and hope that he can kind of figure things out after struggling a bit in the AHL and he came in this year was basically the fourth line center all season long had wingers that were good bad whatever all season long he was playing with Rich Clune, Pavel Gogolev, Dmitry Evchinikov, Bobby McMahon anybody they put on his wing and he had a really solid season. He put over, he put up over thirty points. Was a solid defensive player. Played some um, important minutes for them um, as a center. Had some insane fights where he messed some people up as well. Um, and that's kind of a new thing for him, exactly. Right? That's something yeah, he's kind of taken upon himself as he's begun his pro career, just kind of utilizing that size and strength a bit more. Exactly. And so this is a guy that um, was drafted in the mid rounds by Dallas. They let him go, um, just given. Uh, a bit of a lack of progression at the OHL level and this year putting up a 34 point season as a six foot nine forward um, at the AHL level at 22 years old um, especially hearing what Ryan Hardy the Marley's GM had to say in his postseason press conference talking about preaching patience with him and that um, this is a guy that isn't going to grow into his body and be comfortable just given his frame until he's 25 26 years old but this is a guy who can move okay f- given his size had some really really solid uh solid production this year um actually has some pretty good hands and so if he if he can start putting all of that together um in addition to the solid season he had already this year you can really see a pathway to him being a very unique player um and an effective player um just given his size his reach all those kind of things as um a very unique project in the leaf system so absolutely deserving of the contract he got as as the year went along and um coming into the year just not knowing what to expect from him and putting up over 30 points as a AHL rookie really got my attention with Curtis Douglas this year. Well, I'm going to ask you about another guy, Kyle, that uh, earned himself an NHL deal with the Leafs because of his strong play with the Marlies this season. Bobby McMahon really kind of burst onto the scene yeah. this year. And I, I know he's a bit on the older side, but really kind of established himself as a, a prominent player for the Marlies this season. And, and I just want to know what you might think of his you know, ultimate NHL prospects. Yeah, he kind of came out of nowhere um, just because last year in the weird AHL season, I didn't put a lot of stock into any production or anything last year at the AHL level just because there was so few top-end AHL players that were actually playing in the AHL with the taxi squad and all the weird stuff. You were also playing the same four or five teams all the time. But McMahon didn't really put up any production. He had four points in 21 games last year with the Marlies. Had some good moments um, at the ECHL level with Wichita when he was there on loan, but he was like 24, 25, had a decent college career with Colgate, but nothing amazing. And he actually started the year with Newfoundland being sent down after camp. But when Robertson got hurt, when Amadio and Brooks got claimed 
on waivers. He was kind of the next man up uh, for the Marlies, and he grabbed a fourth-line spot and didn't look back. He played on every line, both wings. I I think he probably mixed in at center at some point this year um, and set the Marlies rookie goal-scoring record with 24 goals this year, which is just hilarious to think for a guy like Bobby McMahon to hold that record. And so he is going to be 26, I think, next week or something like that. Um, So... He's not necessarily the kind of guy that you look at and go, wow, okay, he could be a top nine NHLer, but he works insanely hard as shown by his results this year. Um, he can be physical. He, he's he got a goal scoring touch. He likes to get pucks on net, all these kinds of things. He's not going to have high NHL potential, and I don't think anybody believes that. But um, given what he showed this year, I could absolutely see him getting a game or two at the NHL level on a fourth line left wing and doing a job as an energy guy down the lineup. And that's exactly what you're hoping for when you kind of find these free wallet guys on AHL deals and things like that. And it was great to see him uh, be rewarded for his great play this year with an NHL contract. Yeah, he was a guy i was kind of hoping to see get that deal but given his age and all that i thought that you know it might be a guy who was back on an ahl contract once again or maybe you know looking for an opportunity with another organization but yeah i I think he showed enough in terms of like nhl level goal scoring instincts and the ability to maybe create a bit of secondary offense as a a fourth line option or at least a, a depth option for the organization that i think he was well deserving of of that contract for sure. And it was just, it it was really nice to see a player like him. Who's had that kind of longer road to get to where he is, find that success because of his work ethic and, and all of those things that go along with it. Um, I'm going to keep cam quiet for, for another second here. Uh, (laughs) another question I've got for you getting kind of back to Curtis Douglas. I'm going to look at another couple of the, the Marley centers who were playing their first full seasons with them this season. Mm. Uh, Mikhail Abramov kind of came into the, the AHL on a strong note, you know, he had a, a couple of really big seasons with Victoriaville. QMJHO champion coming yes, into the yes, exactly. And captained that squad as well. And uh, I, I think maybe he was thrown to the wolves a little bit. Um, you could say the same about uh, Semyon Duragashensev or SDA to, to keep things a little easier here. Um, <laughs> but SDA at least had a little bit more of that pro experience with some time in the KHL last season. Uh, I, I'm just curious what you thought of how those two adjusted to the AHL and what their, you know, how their seasons may have impacted how you view their ultimate ceilings. Yeah, they were thrown to the wolves. Yeah. That is the, the best way to put it. Um, coming into the year, the Marlies were expecting at least one of Michael Amadio or Adam Brooks to be on the roster. Or Brooks Kirill Semyonov as well. Yeah, Semyonov had the uh, had the KHL out clause, so he was never yeah. really an option for the Marlies, but he did play a handful of games at the beginning of the year. But especially for Amadio and, and Brooks, when Brooks was claimed at a training camp and then Amadio spent the first week, week and a half on the on the Leafs roster, and then he got claimed as well. Um, the Marlies were expecting one of those guys to be kind of their veteran first-line center and have SDA and Abramov be your second, third-line guys and really um, start to adjust to the AHL level from there. And instead, you have your two options that you thought you would have get claimed. Semyonov is there for about a week and then goes back to Russia. And all of a sudden, you've got SDA who is an interesting player, to say the least. (laughs) 
centering your first line, and Abramov coming into the AHL as a rookie with no prior pro experience, centering your second line with no veteran help, no nothing else. Um, And for a lot of the season, especially early on, there was a lot of treading water and things like that. Um, Barely treading water. (laughs) Yeah. And, And so for Abramov, he started the year a bit rough started to pick things up into December. And I think when I actually did the prospect rankings um, and wrote that article, he was on a bit of a streak, had had a few points in a few consecutive games was looking good. Um, And for Abramov, especially the second half of the year, just things really fell off. He, he struggled to put up points. He went um, a handful of games without points in a row, started falling down the lineup um, and really struggled as the season came to an end. He had some bright spots, but overall the consistency was a big issue for him and um, had some good playmaking moments, but didn't get a lot of pucks on net. Something that he improved on at the QMJHL level was trusting in a shot a lot more, taking it on upon himself to shoot uh, and get pucks on net and be a primary goal scoring threat. That's something that he didn't really do this year. And SDA is somebody that came into the year with, we all knew the, the, great vision and playmaking and all these things but the guy never shot the puck well that improved this year he actually took it upon himself to get some more pucks on net um and sda somebody that i I think over the year i was maybe especially early on too harsh on um just given the goals against and things like that um seeing a little bit of some of the instat data and stuff from some people that have that uh, available he was somebody that was kind of victimized by poor PDO and on-ice shooting percentage and save percentage, things like that. Um, But for SDA this year, he improved his shot generation. He was still a great power play threat, but actually produced a a bit better than I expected at even strength. And so um, he was somebody that was described in in post- postseason pressers as uh, by Ryan Hardy and Greg Moore as somebody that uh, grew the most over the season, really became uh, a legit top nine center at the AHL level, which I don't think you could say for sure coming into the year. So SDA, I I think, had about the season that you would expect from him. Uh, Some suspect defense at times, um, good power play production, but started to pick up the even strength production as the year went along. And Abramov is maybe the one more that was a bit more disappointing for me this year. So I've got them basically back to back in whatever prospect rankings right now i think he could flip a coin as to which one um you rank above the other just given the seasons that they had this year sda had the better year but abramov has maybe a bit more of an nhl projection still and things like that um but yeah for, for those two really got thrown to the wolves this year um and i'm very interested to see how, what they take from the experience this year and things like that and take into next year where a lot more can be expected of them out of the gate uh at the ahl level yeah i think with abramov in particular he, he was just a, looked a lot more passive or tentative in his first year of pro hockey compared to what we saw out of his final couple seasons of junior kind of getting to what you said about him becoming more of a Shooter and relying on that part of his game more. I think that's something that the organization will be looking for him to kind of implement into his game at the AHL level next season. Um, Cam, you still with us? Uh, I'm here, buddy. I'm here, buddy. <laughs> I was just going to say, can I talk now? <laughs> I believe that's what they call on overdrive uh, going Larry King. <laughs> um, so, uh, Kyle, this is kind of a question that we asked, I think, last time as well. But um, And I think that the answer was was Nick Robertson. It probably is now. But um, in terms of like looking at the Leaf system and looking at guys who could contribute, uh, could you know make the team out of camp and, and maybe give the Leafs some minutes uh, this coming season, um, who, who do you kind of 
Tennessee as as the um, you know I guess lead candidates to to maybe make it out of camp. I think that Alex Steves was another guy who who you mentioned when we asked you this question uh, previously. But um, who, who's kind of uh, uh, grown I guess in, the, in in on that front in your eyes? Yeah, Nick Robertson is the clear number one in terms of somebody that um, I would at least myself have penciled into the into the top 12 and forwards coming out of camp and somebody that I think should have a lot of runway to start the year as well. Just the season that he came off of the way he was playing at the end of the year, being a cheap contract um, and a need for depth scoring. He's somebody that I think should get a legitimate look in the bottom six, if not maybe alongside a Tavares or something like that next year, I would start him in the bottom six and let him work his way up. But looking at kind of the secondary guys, because everyone knows Robertson's going to contend for a spot and all that kind of stuff. Alex Steves is the next one. He kind of cooled off as the year went along at the AHL level, but um, impressed a lot in the first half, actually got his NHL debut, which I don't think anyone was expecting in the first three months of the season. Um, He's somebody that if they're looking for some cheap ELC guys could definitely do a job on the fourth line. Joey Anderson is another one of those guys um, in a similar mold who could do a job on a fourth line. Um, But I think the other one that maybe people don't know as much of or don't know what to expect from that I think could definitely challenge for fourth line minutes as soon as camp next year is Pontus Holmberg. He was mentioned by Kyle Dubas in in the postseason presser as somebody that in in that group that they expect to challenge for a spot. He was fantastic in the uh, in the SHL this year coming off of an SHL championship and SHL playoff MVP run. He he kind of took that and really let it run over the season, improved as the season went along offensively, took a top line center role um, on one of the top teams in Sweden and and really had some success there. Um, And he's somebody that if he was like 25 or 26 and had the kind of season he had and the Leafs had signed him as an undrafted free agent or whatever, people would probably be penciling him in as the fourth line center or at least on the roster to start the year. But because he's drafted, he's younger and all these kind of things, we maybe don't look at him as as much of an option as we would if he was older or things like that. But he's 23. He's got a handful of seasons in the SHL under his belt. He had a fantastic year this year. Um, And I I think he does need some time with the Marlies, at least to kind of adjust to the North American style and things like that. But I would not be surprised whatsoever if Pontus Holmberg is playing fourth line minutes for the Leafs this year. All right. That's great. That's uh, that's a great uh, system update, I I think, on uh, on the Leafs front. Appreciate it, Kyle. Wanted to talk a little uh, about a little bit of draft stuff uh, before we wrap up here. Um, just kind of a, a preliminary chat here. The Leafs have the number twenty-five pick now officially, and uh, just kind of wanted to get a, a a bit of a measure on on where the two of you stand um, as far as you know trading down, trading out entirely for help, uh, making the pick at number twenty-five, and and maybe any. Uh, particular targets you might have if the Leafs do stand pat and, and make the pick. Uh, Kyle, what are you kind of thinking about the uh, uh, the Leafs' first round selection for this year? I, I think it makes a lot of sense to trade down. We've seen the Leafs trade down from 25 in the past before. In 2018, they did it when they traded down, ended up drafting Rasmus Sandin there, which is looking pretty good right now. And they also got a free third rounder to take a shot on Semyon 
Pregachintsev. So um, as it usually goes in the late first, I think a lot of it depends on who's available. If there's anybody that has fallen down the draft board that um, is great value at 25. But if the board kind of goes as you expect, there's maybe a guy or two that you like, but you feel good about dropping down a couple of spots, um, especially just given the lack of draft capital and things like that. Um, the Leafs didn't do it last year, which I was surprised with. They took Nyes, but that was a guy that they were very Thank high on that. and looks great now. <laughs> I'll gladly be wrong about that one. But if there's a guy like that that they love, of course, keep the 25th pick, take the guy and run. Um, but I think it makes a lot of sense to trade down from 25 and grab either another late second or early third round pick. Once again, Kyle has pretty much nailed it here. I think the one thing is that there seems to be so much variance, at least in the public sphere, in terms of draft rankings this year. There's a lot. That, uh, there's you know there's a lot of players who you'll see ranked in the in the top fifteen for for some people who are you know maybe ranked in the twenty five to thirty five range for others. So I think um, it, it's going to come down to the Leafs kind of playing the board and seeing how things kind of fall as it's getting closer to their pick. I'm sure Dubas will be on the phone lining up potential deals to trade down, to, you know, depending on what's going to be there uh, when their pick rolls around. But I, I think if there's a player who, again, with the variance in rankings, if there's a player who is really sticking out on their board, who is still hanging around at 25 when it gets to them, I think you've got to pull the trigger on that. Um, you know, draft capital be damned. Uh, the, the Leafs have, outside of last season, the, the Leafs have made a lot of picks in recent drafts. Yeah. So uh, I think that's something they can kind of live with if there is a player that's really sticking out to them at 25. But other than that, um, when you get to that range, I think there there isn't necessarily as much separating players in the maybe 20 to 50 range. So if you're really confident a, about a number of players in that range that, that you think would add to your system or just be strong picks in that range. I think it's definitely something that the Leafs will once again explore. Rutger McGrorty or <laughs> Jagger Furcus. I don't know. That's, oh, that's not actually uh, my, my pick or I don't even know if either of them couple are of good options. ranked right around that spot. I just I just wanted to say both of those names. <laughs> yeah, McGrorty is an interesting name for sure. Yeah, it is. That's yeah. That's why I said it. Rutger <laughs> McGrorty. We have to change our uh, rules for the the name draft next season. Maybe. Oh yeah, this is that's the two last names draft. Rutger <laughs> yeah. McGrorty, yeah. or like the 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 two um, super spy names draft. I don't know. <laughs> um, before we wrap this up, Kyla, I know you're a racing guy. Uh, I was listening to uh, the Ringers F1 podcast earlier today, and they were talking about um, the recent Monaco Grand Prix and, and specifically a quote from uh, Norbert Hogg, who is a former president of Mercedes. And they were talking about uh, he was talking about Ferrari and how they absolutely botched it uh, in Monaco. And he said something to <laughs> what, the effect Ferrari of botching this. something. No way. <laughs> I know. Right. So he said something to the effect of. Uh, there's so much internal pressure at Ferrari that they, they feel like they must always make decisions particularly well instead of just making normal decisions, which would serve them better. I'm paraphrasing that. I think that the, the interview was in German. But I, I heard that and I just thought, gee, that, that sounds like another team that I know, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. And there's a lot of parallels between Ferrari and the Leafs, especially with um, Ferrari in recent years having a great young driver in Charles Leclerc and maybe 
maybe not having um, the success that they would have hoped for at this point and having a good car this year and making some, some mistakes and stuff and being a long time since they've won a championship and stuff relative to Ferrari terms. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of comparables you can make there. I'll dip into another one of Kyle's interests here and maybe draw, <laughs> draw some more parallels to the Leafs here. We just uh, we saw the, the AEW crown a new champion recently, Kyle. Uh, we, we thought we were going to get the summer of punk, but, you know, kind of getting to that parallel with the Leafs, uh, things just sort of went immediately wrong in the worst possible way for the, the company and for <laughs> CM Punk. Uh, what did you make of just how that all went down for AEW and the timing of it all? Uh, it's heartbreaking. It was so great to see CM Punk back and be champ and everything like that and so many people were excited to see what he could do as champion again not just over the summer but with a big show coming up at Forbidden Door and so many dream matchups and stuff and in his first match after being champ he gets hurt and so like, it's literally so... just trying to get into the exactly right like it's brutal so I mean I'm, I'm interested to see what happens from here as we're recording there's a very fun battle royale and stuff that's gonna happen tonight I'm pumped for it um, but yeah, that was a that was a heartbreaking one there. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe have to diversify our content, and uh, <laughs> you, you and Cam can fire up an F one motorsports pod. Oh, and yeah. You and me, we, we can start up something with AEW. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we, we can round up so, some other voices from uh, Leafs Twitter who share those interests. So, exactly. Yeah, we'll, once again, Kyle, it's been uh, not only great to have you on here tonight, but I thoroughly enjoyed working alongside you all season at the Leafs Nation, uh, teaming up with you to cover the the Leafs prospect system. Uh, I thought you did an excellent job. You just you brought so much to the site over the course of the season. It, it was really great getting to know you more, and yeah, worked alongside you all season. So thanks for that, and thanks for this. Ah, uh, thanks, buddy. And uh, if it wasn't for you, I don't think I'd even be at TLN right now. And it had been a while since I'd written with regularity and stuff. I'd taken basically year, year and a half between writing for the last side I wrote for, which we don't have to name. Um, But uh, no, I I, I didn't know if I'd ever write with regularity again. And um, last year, you kind of pushing for me at TLN and getting to do stuff alongside you this year was a ton of fun. Um, It was great to do it all year long. I think we had uh, unbiased, the best Leafs prospect coverage year long among all the different blogs and whatever. Um, and, And very rewarding to have that experience with the this year great to be on here again uh talking prospects and a little bit of everything um and i'm <laughs> excited to uh get into uh off-season mode and draft and everything like that and kind of see what this team is like next year new prospects to write about next fall exactly <laughs> that was that was really nice guys uh, i just wish you'd set it before we completely uh, uh isolated our, our entire audience <laughs> no kidding uh, in the three minutes prior so there's no one actually listening to all the nice words you just said about each other but it was really sweet <laughs> Uh, hey man, say what you want, but I've been incredibly surprised over the last number of months with how many people not only are fans of F1 racing now, but also of wrestling. So yeah, I don't think we might have isolated as many people as you think. Um, yeah. There's a surprising amount of crossover leaf Twitter there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, just echoing that, uh, Kyle, really appreciate you coming on again and, and uh, filling us in on some stuff. And before we let you go... Um, want to get one last uh, bit of info out of you here early prediction for the canadian grand prix Ooh, I, for starters it's going to be great to have the canadian grand prix back because gilles villeneuve is probably my favorite circuit on the calendar and it's been way too long since f1's been there um but um i will i, I won't go with the boring pick um i will say uh 
I'll say George Russell gets his first career win. Okay, I like that. I like that. Um, I, I was at the last uh, Canadian Grand Prix, really? 2019. Wow. Three years. I know it's crazy that it's it's been that long. Um, yeah, both. I think that, my stepdad and my mom went to that too. Actually, okay, there you go. Yeah, both that and the uh, everybody's getting the, out. the the Canadian Open on the PGA. It's it's all coming back. So yeah, uh, yeah I like that Russell pick. I, I you were saying you don't want to make the 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 obvious pick or the boring pick or whatever. Like I feel like that would be like Lewis Hamilton once upon a time, but now that's almost uh, yeah. an exciting thing. And I, I've heard some people saying that oh, maybe that'll be where he gets his first win of the year. It's been a been a tough year for Lewis, and he loves Montreal. So we'll, we'll see if. Uh, if he can pull that off, but uh, no, appreciate you doing this, Kyle. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll we'll touch base on that F one podcast. <laughs> Sounds good. Pleasure as always. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Cheers, bud. Yeah.